is Brock Osweiler, Super Bowl champion and the only Sun Devil to ever throw for 4,000 yards in a single season. I'm Randy Policar, former sports information director for Sun Devil Football, and this is the Brock and Roll Show. Welcome to the Brock and Roll Show. He is Brock Osweiler. I'm Randy Policar. It is Rivalry Week, Arizona State versus Arizona coming up this week. And Brock, I know for Sun Devil fans everywhere, this is the week. The whole season's been, it's been something, but it'll all be fixed this weekend if they can bring the cup back to Tempe. It's go time, baby. Uh, no pity for the kitty. Uh, it's it's uh, obviously a huge week here in Tempe. Very exciting week around the state, but you're right, Randy. Uh, this is what it's all about. And at the end of the day, we all know um, in college football, you can pretty much lose every single game in your season. But if you beat your rival, you know, your, your season, it, it just it feels a little bit better in the end. I don't think either one of us saw our Devils going into, you know, the, the Territorial Cup without a win. But that's where we stand. We're 0-2. Um, but like you said, hey, go get this win against U of A. Go beat your rivals on their turf. And uh, we'll have a much better feeling about this season. We're going to get more in-depth on rivalry and Brock breaks it down. That's going to be the focus. Brock's going to tell us what it's like in the locker room for U of A week, but let's talk really quick. We, we mentioned it earlier, your th- thoughts on how ASU looked against UCLA. Obviously that the month layoff essentially played a big role in that game. Yeah. I think the big question going into the UCLA football game for our devils, it was simply, are they going to have a hangover or are they going to be able to come out and, and, you know, have all systems green light and go and, and play good football out the gate. And I think more people assume that they would have a little bit of a, a hangover from the long, long layoff of not playing games for, for over three weeks. Unfortunately, that was the case. The, the devil started the game out of our first four possessions. Uh, we finished with three punts and a missed field goal. And, you know, as much as I was trying to be optimistic and really hoping that coach Edwards would, have the boys ready to play and playing good football early. That's super difficult to do when you're not on the practice field for three weeks. And, and we saw that. I think, like I said, that was to be expected. Um, but then I will, I'll, I'll give our team this credit. Um, after they got those first four possessions out of the way, uh, we played some damn good football. I, I, you know, when I was watching Jaden Daniels, um, I was really impressed with you know, the zip he had on, on the ball a couple times, he was thrown with some good accuracy. The, the thing that really stood out to me with Jaden was his footwork. His feet were tight. They were compact. And, and he looked good for the most part. Um, we definitely have some young guys to be excited about. You know, when you look at the running back room, when you look at the receiver room, some, some of the defensive guys, we have some young players, freshmen and sophomores, who are going to be big-time players. And I, and, and I think that's really exciting. I, I think – the recruiting that that Herm has done uh, since he came to Tempe and the quality of recruiting is starting to show. It's super exciting. Obviously, going back to the UCLA game, you know, we weren't able to find a way to get, you know, the win in the fourth quarter. But at the end of the day, like I said, we hadn't been practicing or playing football for three weeks. So the fact that we were able to make that game very competitive, make it come down to you know, really the final drive in the fourth quarter. That was exciting. I, I think we have a lot of young players that, that Sun Devil fans should really be optimistic and, and enthusiastic about. But ultimately, uh, it was going to be a tough challenge. We all knew that. And um, unfortunately, UCLA came out on top. My biggest takeaway from that game was the uniforms. How gorgeous were those 1975 throwbacks? Uh, Love them. In fact... Uh, my first thought when I saw those uniforms Saturday night um, was that these need to be our uniforms every single week. When you look at a lot of the best football programs around the country, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame, they're not wearing a different uniform every week. And I just, I really think building a tradition at Arizona State as far as what our visual product is every single week on the field, I think we need to get to something like that. Now, I'm not saying don't ever play in an alternate uniform because that's fun, but I would like to see us just wear one uniform that when fans around the country turn on a TV and they see that maroon and gold, they know it's the Sun Devils. 
you know, sometimes we're in all black, sometimes we're in all maroon or all white, you know, let's build a tradition. Let's get back to those 1975 uniforms because boy, I, I thought they looked really sharp. The 1975 uniforms, they were celebrating the 45th anniversary of the Fiesta Bowl championship team. They went 12-0 and and finished number two in the nation in Brock. We're very lucky today to have a member of that 1975 team join us. Uh, this man who's going to be our guest here in a few minutes. When you talk about legendary football players, not just from Arizona State, football players, he fits the bill. Mike Haynes was a three-time Western Athletic Conference selection, a two-time All-American. He played at ASU from 1972 to 75. 40-8 his teams went at Arizona State. He played in three Fiesta Bowls. He was the 73 Fiesta Bowl defensive MVP. He went 3-1 and one against the team down south. And before Richard Sherman, before Darrell Rivas, Mike Haynes was the original shutdown corner. His junior year at ASU – he led the nation with 11 interceptions. That's tied for second most in school history. 17 career picks with the Sun Devils. Three punt returns and a kickoff return for ASU for touchdowns. He was the fifth overall pick in the 1976 draft by the New England Patriots. He played 14 NFL seasons with the Patriots and the Raiders. Nine-time Pro Bowler. Two-time first-team All-Pro. 76th Defensive Rookie of the Year. 46 career interceptions in the NFL. He won Super Bowl 18 with the Raiders, including an interception of Joe Theismann in that game. He was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1997, elected to the College Football Hall of Fame in 2000, a member of the NFL's 75th and 100th anniversary teams, 1980s NFL All-Decade team. His number 40 is retired by ASU and the New England Patriots. He's in the Patriots Hall of Fame. Brock, how excited are you to have a chat with the legendary Mike Haynes today? Oh my goodness. I'm, uh, I'm ecstatic about it. Uh, in fact, as soon as you finish talking about all of his accolades, I hope you drop the mic right there because uh, his, his lineup of accolades is, is just incredible. The fact that we're able to have a Sun Devil who's a pro football Hall of Famer come on this podcast. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. It's very humbling um, that a guy like Mike Haynes will take the time to come on and, uh, you know, just chat with two normal Joes like you and I. So super humbling, very excited. We have some great questions for him. It's funny, when you read off his stats, the first thing that comes to my mind is what took so long for, for the Hall of Fame committee to get this guy in the Hall of Fame? You know, his, his career was um, second to none, stud of a football player, great human being. Um, he's doing tremendous things um, off the field and uh, very excited to have Mike on today. Let's bring him on right now. Sun Devil legend, Mr. Mike Haynes. Thank you so much for joining the show. So, Mike, last weekend, ASU honored the 1975 Fiesta Bowl team by wearing throwback uniforms from that season. So uh, I want to know, what was your reaction to seeing those uniforms out on the field at Sun Devil Stadium? And uh, what are some of your favorite memories of that team? Well, um, it, was, it was just really nice that they would think back on that, on that team. And uh, um, that was really nice to see. So that was kind of cool for me. And, and the memories it was the players. You know, we had such a good team. That 1975 team was was really great. We had so many great players. Um, our defense was really the highlight of our, our team. Um, but we had some really strong offensive players, too. Um, Larry Gordon as our middle linebacker. We were both first-round draft picks. Um, we came into college together, grew up together. He had an older brother that played in the pros. Um, and that was kind of cool to have a, a guy on our team with a, a pro player in the family, you know? So we had a lot of good conversations. Um, but the thing that stands out, um, for me was, um, this one team we played, uh, you know, Colorado state, they had a receiver named Willie Miller. Uh, who was a former Green Beret player. And um, he was closing in on one of my teammates' records. And I told my teammate, hey, man, um, looks like your record's going to be intact. They're going to put me on Willie Miller. I got him wherever he goes. <laughs> and, uh, and that was really unlike me because I was really kind of quiet and um, I don't really talk to receivers and I don't really, you know, you know taunt people or anything like that. But I was feeling pretty good that year and having a great season and everything. And, and so I said that, which was uh, – and so in that game, 
Willie Miller was all over the place. I mean, it wasn't like I wasn't able to cover him. I would jump up and catch the ball, be an interception. As I'm bringing the ball down, he takes it away from me. And it's a catch for him. <laughs> you know? it, was, it was such a nightmare. Um, um, but um, at the end of the game, when they needed a big play, uh, Larry Gordon got an interception for us. And that clinched the victory and ended the nightmare for me. So it was a, it was a tough day, very tough. And I'd never met a guy as tough as that guy, Willie Miller. He was a tremendous receiver. We had so many guys, though. And so our defense was really the, um, the strength. And um, it, was, it was a lot of fun with, with John Jefferson, um, Dennis Sproul, Fred Mortensen. Um, you know, on both sides of the ball, we were really pretty loaded. And um, it, it was good to see, you know, see those guys, the ones that were able to show up for that event. Uh, I really missed Larry Gordon. He passed away. I don't know if everybody knows that um, during his uh, NFL career back, back, really back in Phoenix, you know, in the off season of NFL season. So it was, um, it was a highlight of my college experience um, playing with those guys. So coach Cush was uh, on, on Larry and me the most of anybody on the team, you know, uh, I remember he 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 kicked Larry off of the team once, you know, <laughs> and this was the week. This was like two weeks before the Fiesta Bowl. We're going to play Nebraska, <laughs> you know, and Larry did something or said something to Coach Cush. And he says, what? What did you say, Gordon? And then Larry, like, said it again. He said, get off my football field. I'm going, no, no, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, but Coach Cush had him back, and uh, he came back, and we played great. And but we had that was a little little scare because there's no way we were going to beat Nebraska without Larry Gordon in the middle of that defense. So, so Mike, uh, I have a question for you. You know, we're we're sure. talking about the 1975 throwbacks that ASU wore last week. You know, it was one of the first comments when I was watching the game. I reached out to Randy right away, and I said, "Wow, like these uniforms are so cool." And I, and I just, I would love to see. You know, as fun as it is seeing our team wear a different uniform almost every week, I would personally like to see the Sun Devils start wearing a traditional uniform, you know, similar to, you know, an Ohio State, a Michigan, a Texas, an Alabama. So we can start building some traditions just based upon our look and when people turn on the TV. Do you agree with that or, or do you like seeing um, all the different uniform combinations? You know, it's really funny that you mentioned that because I think I'm more like you. I mean, I look at yeah, a lot of the a lot of the schools that have their traditional uniform, and when you when you see them on TV, that's exactly what you're expecting to see. Um, but I think I, I like both. But I really, you know, like you know, Oregon. I think they were the first team that I can remember that seemed like they had a different uniform on all the time. Um, and when when they were when they started doing it, I thought it was kind of cool. But I think in you know being realistic, and uh, my personal opinion is. I like I like to keep the old uniform that same tradition. So when you see our team, you know you yes. you, you know what to expect to see. And uh, yeah, I really like that. I I can't help it. Old school. I uh, hey I agree. And and if anyone wants my opinion, my vote goes to the nineteen seventy five uniforms. I think those were fantastic. <laughs> so let's let's wear those every week. I'm with you. I'm with you, Mike. It's rivalry day. The Devils take on the team from down south tonight. So what I want to know is, do you have any good stories from your games against Arizona that stand out in your mind? You won three of them. Uh, are there any specific ones that you can recall right now? Well, the, I remember two, two stand out in my mind. One was my freshman year. That was the first one. And uh, being a kid from California, I really didn't understand the rivalry. You know, everybody going, you know, and everybody was saying, um, you know, the, the seniors were basically saying, I've been injured, coach. I know I've been injured, but I'm going to be able to play this weekend. I want to play. And, and sure enough, coach let him play. And I, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, wow, this guy hasn't played, you know, hardly at all. And now he's playing this game. Uh, and so we'd be in the huddle uh, and the guys would be in there and, and they would be saying different things, you know, about that game that, you know, made you, you know, realize that this was different than every game that we played because no one was ever saying anything in the huddle. Now they're talking. Um, and we had a guy in the huddle, we had, he had blood on the on his on the bridge of his nose uh, from where his helmet had come down and hit him or something. 
Uh, and I said, hey, man, um, you need to go out. There's blood on your nose. And he goes, don't tell me I have to go out. <laughs> I went, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, so, so that, was, that was unbelievable and, and different for me. And, and the other one was, um, you know, um, a year, it was a home game. And I remember that Arizona and um, ASU, we, had, we were undefeated and they had one loss. And so if they beat us, they would have the same record and they would win the tiebreaker since they beat us. And so it was a big game. And, um, and so uh, I've been looking at, at game films and things like that and going over things. The coaches were, had us all prepared. But in one of the meetings, I said, hey, coach, what do we do if the other guy goes in motion? And, and what if he goes in motion the other way? And he goes, Haynes, that's never happened. That's not going to happen, Haynes. I go, but, but what if it does? And he kind of got upset and goes, I told you it's not going to happen. You know, I'm going, okay, 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 sir. Okay. You know, and so I don't ask. Well, in the game, sure enough, it <laughs> happens. And the guy goes in motion and they, and uh, Arizona had a wide receiver named T Bell, who was a first round draft pick to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, T Bell catches the ball and it's a touchdown but there's a flag on the play. And so it doesn't count. And so I run to the sideline. I'm going, Hey coach, Hey coach, remember that, that play that I was talking to you about? That's the play. The guy goes the other way. What do you want to do? Do you want to check three? What do you want to do? And, uh, and he said, what, what Haynes? And I said, what do you want to do? That's the play. He said, get out there, just go out there. I'm like, Oh my God, we still don't know what we're going to do. And so I almost, check three I wanted to check three but I didn't because I didn't want to get in any trouble and sure enough they run the same play and so this time we got lucky we got uh, more pressure on the quarterback and they hit the quarterback just as the ball was you know leaving his arm and he doesn't have enough strength to get the ball to up the field so the ball falls short of the receiver and I, I could not believe it we were so lucky and uh that's also the game where John Jefferson has that unbelievable catch at the back of the end zone lane parallel to the ground. And, um, you know, so many, so many games against them um, were important for us. And, you know, I was really, we were really lucky to win, beat them three of our four years. Um, but that really was a lot of fun and um, probably the biggest game of the year, no matter what our record was. If we're undefeated or, or we were, um, had four or five losses, it didn't matter. That was the biggest game of the year. Mike, I, I want to take a moment and I want to pivot out of your playing days and, and talk a little bit about your post-football career. And, and I know our listeners are excited to, to hear more about it, but I am especially. And, and, you know, I'm sure you know, but, you know, I've now been out of the National Football League going on two seasons now, and, and I'm slowly venturing into, uh, you know, my post-football career. And so, obviously, your football career – culminated in going into the National Football League Hall of Fame, you know, the highest honor any football player can receive. But your post-football career was was almost just as impressive when, when you look at it. You know, there's Callaway Golf and there's, you know, working for the league office and, and working on player development and then being a special advisor to the league commissioner. And, and now you have Mike Haynes and Associates. And so um, I'm just really curious, how, how did you initially get started with, with your first you know, kind of post-football opportunity and, and uh, you know, just where, every, where that led? Well, I, I think um, I had a fear, uh, a big scare uh, when I first entered the NFL. Um, my locker in, on the Patriots was right next to a guy named George Webster. And George Webster went to Michigan, uh, yeah, Michigan State where Coach Cush went. Coach Cush had a poster uh, or a, a picture of George Webster in his office. And underneath that, it said, greatest college player of all time. <laughs> and so when I was drafted to the Patriots, my locker was right next to George's. And that year, before the season started, they waved him. And when I, when I got in and I saw that his locker was cleaned out, I said, hey, what happened to George? Because I think, you know, my number was 40 and his number was like a 90 number or something. And so I thought maybe they just moved his number, uh, moved his locker back to another area where the 90 numbers are or something, but it wasn't there. So I said, hey, what happened to George? They said, oh, they got him last night. I go, what do you mean they got him last night? He got, he got waved. I'm going, what? 
They waved George Webster. And so I'm thinking, wow, one of the greatest college players of all time, he got waved. So I couldn't wait until we got into our meeting room. And so we got in the meeting room, I'm expecting the coach to say why they had to get rid of George Webster, why they had to let him go. Well, he doesn't say anything about George Webster. <laughs> he just says, um, Johnson, you move up to first team, um, you know, and, and you go over to and place all the different positions that George played. They just put a new, new people in those positions. And I thought, wow. And so then I picked up the, the newspaper and it was just a small in the transactions section of the paper. It just said, uh, Webster waved, like, you know, what George Webster linebacker waved. That's it. No story about it. Nothing. I'm going, wow, if that can happen to the greatest college player of all time, it can surely happen to me. Yeah. And so that meant that it could happen at any time. So I went back to school and got my degree. I realized, shoot, if they, you know, I don't want my career to go down like that. Um, and so I, I went back to school, finished up my degree. It really took me a couple of off seasons to go to school to, to get my degree. Uh, and, uh, but it was probably the best thing I ever did. And so I started at that point realizing that, you know, maybe a football career isn't, um, you know, a, a pure, you know, a, a destiny that's really going to happen. So I need to be prepared. And so right away, I started working in the off seasons. I worked at a place called Straight State Street Research and Management. It was a big financial um, company. They, they uh, handled pension money and, um, you know, big accounts for wealthy people and things like that. Uh, and I, I just, I loved it. And I, and I felt like um, this was something I wanted to do. So I really started working uh, right away. Um, just because I didn't think I was going to have a long, um, great career. And I didn't really know what that meant. And so I wanted to play three years. And then I found out I had to play four to be vested. I was pretty naive when I first came into the league. Um, and, you know, I think I was naive for a long time in the league because I had these different thoughts of what it was like. I thought making to the NFL, hey, I won't have to work anymore. This is going to be great. I'm going to be so wealthy. And, yeah. and, um, and then it turned out that, that wasn't going to be the case, even though I was a fifth player drafted overall. Um, um, I was going to have difficulties getting to the place I wanted to be. And I, I hired an attorney that uh, represented me, did a great job. And but I had to be um, educated myself and aware of what was going on in my life. And I wish that I in those the early days I had returned to ASU and talked to Coach Cush and talked to you know, um, some of the guys who were in the, in the NFL to have a better understanding of what to expect and, and what was going on. But by the time I got to my fourth year, I was pretty, pretty educated, know what I wanted to do. Um, and uh, so when I finally retired from football, I, I was really, my mindset was already about business. I wanted to do something that I wanted to do something that I was passionate about. Uh, and so I, I started off in the golf <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I was um, just before I worked at Callaway Golf, a, a couple of guys and, and myself, we started a, a tour and it was called the Pro Athletes Golf League. And the idea came from that tournament up, that's up in Lake Tahoe where they only have it once a year. So, hey, why wouldn't people be interested in that all year round? Uh, so uh, um, a couple of guys, one guy who was uh, super wealthy. Who, uh, who had made a lot of money by selling his company. He was just a few years older than, than me. Uh, and an, another guy who used to work at ESPN, uh, you know, a, a producer there. And so we started this company doing this and um, putting on events. And I think we probably put on three events, but we actually had a um, NFL superstar, a guy named OJ Simpson, who's a running back, Hall of Fame running back, oh, yeah. who, who, um, who was one of our, leaders or ambassadors for our tour. And at the time when we really needed um, some financial support, that's when that story um, that he was involved in all broke and, and we decided maybe it's best if we do something else, you know? Wow. And so we closed that up, but, but I had gone to Callaway Golf and said, and said hey, would, would you guys be interested in investing in our tour? And they were. And so when it was all over, um, they said, hey, Mike, why don't you come to work here? And I said, uh, yeah, that would be 
kind of interesting. I said, how much money would I make? (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's how naive I was. Um, But but they really liked me and they really wanted me and they made me a great offer. And I got a chance to work at, with, uh, you know, for, with a lot of great guys. And Ely Calloway, the founder of that company, uh, was a mentor to me and he helped me out an awful lot. And uh, when he passed away, then the NFL, I realized, you know, I, I learned a lot. I want to help guys that uh, like me that were maybe naive and really didn't have the right stru- family structure or, or goal structure to make good decisions. So I want to put myself in a position to help those players. So I'm still doing that today, even though I no longer work at the NFL. Uh, I'm a what they call a transition coach. Uh, and we help players like yourself um, make the transition after their careers are over. We have all these different resources to do that. Uh, and I really wish colleges would be um, doing that so that by the time you even enter the league, that you're already ahead of the curve, you know, instead of after it's over, because when it's over, there's this period of depression that you go through because you're no longer able to do the thing that kind of motivated you to even get up in the morning you know so um well and mike that would be tremendous at the college level because as you know you know most athletes come to college and and they're on scholarship and and they're feeling good about themselves and they really think that they're going to have a really good chance to make it to the national football league but as you know you know maybe one two at most three guys from that team, you know, are even going to get to play a couple seasons in the NFL. So if you can yeah. bring a, 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 and help these guys when they leave college transition, uh, that'd be great. Cause I, I personally know some teammates that I can think back on and, you know, it took them a good six, seven, eight years before they kind of got their feet on the ground and got their traction and, and got their, you know, post football career life going. Yeah. It's, it's not easy for some guys. It's easier than others. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of guys that played football, they were overcoming a lot of things in their life to get yes. to college, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, maybe broken home, single parent and things like that, where there's other guys that had two parents at home and it's a different type of situation. Uh, and so they they both can go to college and have a great experience. But um, with transition, like, what am I going to do next? You know, right. Um, because as a as an athlete, someone's been telling them what to do their whole life, how much to weigh, how often they should be practicing, yeah. uh, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and so now you're on your own and you get to do whatever you'd like. What do you do? Uh, and so that's kind of what I got myself into. I really love that. Uh, and I really love helping guys. Um, and the, the thing I think that uh, colleges could, could do a better job really of helping guys uh, and really kind of structuring their um, classes around what, what it is they really want to do. Uh, like, I, I, I don't have any evidence of this, but from what I'm told, like Brown University, when kids go to school there, they say, so, so Brock, what do you want to do in your life? And you go, you know, I want to be, a, I want to run a football team. I want to be a yeah. president of a football team. Then they structure your classes and everything around that. So you're going to need to know this, 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 all these different things, you know, um, that would be cool. But because for me, when I went to college, I didn't go to college to get a job. When by the time I got there, I said, I want to be a businessman. I want to run a company. I want to run a have my own business. And then but I didn't start off there. I started off in education uh, and I really wanted to make a difference uh, in education. Then I somehow realized that, man, maybe my dream isn't going to come true in education. So I took a a test, uh, uh, not a test, but I guess it is a test. Uh, on campus where you can, they take the results of that test and they say, hey, here's some things that maybe you should think about majoring in or, or doing. And that's how I ended up in the business school. When I was, um, I was there and I enjoyed it, I had a great time. I had great teachers, uh, great experience, and um, you know, people that I could go and sit in their office and just ask any question in the world. Um, and that was a lot of fun. And also it, for me, I was now around kids my own age who knew what they wanted to do, like maybe their parents owned businesses and their questions were completely different from mine and their experiences were completely different. But that made me, you know, that helped us become friends because I'm an inquisitive guy and I want to get the answers right and I want to figure things out. Uh, And that was really helpful for me. So, so Mike, you said when you first arrived on campus in Tempe, 
you know, you wanted your education to somewhat be around something that would help you own your own business one day. Well, today you do. You 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 obviously founded, started, owned uh, Mike Haynes and Associates. Uh, would you mind telling us a little bit more about that company and and what you guys are doing? When I was on the Raiders, I I, I um, joined some guys and we started a public relations firm. Uh, oh, and wow. and um, that is a great business. And in some ways, I wish I had continued to do that. It's not, you know, I'm, I'm going to live to be 125. So it's not, it's not <laughs> something I'm not going to think about. I might get back to that one. Okay. okay. Um, but, uh, but Mike Haynes and Associates is really a consulting firm. And I help players. I help companies. Um, right now, um, I'm in a business. We, we sell at, um, CBD. Um, and so it's a natural, you probably know what it is. It's in the, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Okay, Saved my back on game day too many times to count. <laughs> yeah. Just rub, rubbing yeah. some cream in and oh yeah, absolutely. So, so I'm really doing that now. And, uh, um, you know, with some other people, matter of fact, one of my, um, uh, business partners uh, is played baseball, uh, at ASU a guy named Jim O'Leary. And, uh, oh, and so we were there at the same time, but he's, I think a year ahead of me, I didn't know him. You know, I didn't know a lot of the guys on the baseball team. Um, football was our life, you know, football. And, and I also ran track. Um, but helping helping companies make, you know, um, meet their goals is kind of what I've always done as an athlete. Um, set, set a lot of goals. You know, you start with like in goals, you start with the end in mind. Right. So you start with I want to win a national championship. And then you work back from there. Uh, you know, like I want to be the best um, defensive back or cornerback that's ever played the game. I, and then I start there and I work back to where I am now. Like, how do I get there? And that's what I realized that had really helped me and coach Cush kind of push me to, uh, to think about things when I was at ASU. Um, I had a lot of great teammates. Uh, we had a program my senior year. Um, and these two guys, they helped our team set goals and in setting goals as a team, that whole exercise really changed my life. I had always set goals, but I never really wrote them down. I never really thought about them that much. Um, but when we, when we did this, my roommate, his dad played football for um, the Miami Dolphins. I didn't even know that, you know? Uh, and, um, and so I was a defensive back and my roommate was a defensive back. He, <laughs> we were having a conversation. I said, so man, what, what is your goal? What is, what is your goal? Now we were in our senior year now. Right. And so his senior, his goal as a senior was to start by the time we were seniors. Mine was to win the Heisman trophy. <laughs> and they had never had a defensive back win the Heisman trophy. And I didn't know that. I just said, I want to win the Heisman trophy. And so our motivations were completely different. You know, because if I'm going to win the Heisman Trophy, I've got to start like by sophomore year. I've got to yeah. start. And if you're going to start by the time you're a senior, you've got three years to do whatever the heck you want to do, right. you know, and then fight for that last year to start. And so our our careers were different. He star, ended up being a star on the track team instead of the football team. He won the hurdles um, in NCAA hurdle champion. Uh, he, he recruited his two brothers to come to ASU as well. And that helped our track team really be a great team. But in football, I did get some votes for the Heisman, but I didn't win it. And so the, the experience I learned from that whole thing was set your goals high. You're probably not going to make it. But if they're not high, you're not going to even get close. And so if your goal is low, you're not even going to make that low goal. So that's why I set this goal of I want to live to be 125. Uh, that gives me a lot of time. And so even uh, if, you're, if your goal is to live to be 125, even if you're in your 50s, you still got plenty of time to go back to law school if you want to. <laughs> you know, you got time to go get your master's degree. But most people will say when they're in their 30s, oh, I'm too old to go back to school and get my degree. I'm too old to do this. I'm too old to do that. And they use it as a, a, a reason for not taking on new challenges. But if you say, hey, I'm gonna live to be 125, I got time to do those things. Uh, and so the other way that that goal has helped me is like my body, you know, from playing football, I have little aches and pains. But as I get older, 
you know, it, it'd be easy to say, well, of course, I've got these aches and pains. Come on, I played 14 years in the NFL. But because I want to live to be 125, I say, I have these aches and pains. I got to get this worked out. I can't imagine feeling like this for another 60 years, you know? <laughs> so, so then I go see a doctor, I go see a trainer, I go see a masseuse. I, I worry about my nutrition. I worry about all these things that, that uh, could affect me uh, of not being able to achieve my goal. And it really helps motivate me. You've been a, a very vocal advocate for concussion and CTE awareness for, for current and former players. That, that's an, that's a, I know for Brock, that's an important issue. And for me, having worked in football for as long as I have, it's an issue for me as well. But I want to know, why does it hold such a special significance for you? And what kind of work are you doing to help bring awareness and, and help make work, you know, considerable change for this? Well, I've actually, you know, in the 14 years in the pros and in the four years in college, I've seen a lot of a lot of concussions and I've had a few myself and uh, I didn't realize or I didn't know that I was really doing damage to my brain. Uh, and so um, and a lot of people didn't like if you had a concussion, if you want, you know, like you kind of lose your um, your cognition there for a few minutes or whatever, you would go back in the game as soon as you can think again and go back in and maybe get another one. Um, I didn't know until, actually until I got out of um, football that um, I was potentially, I had potentially done damage to my brain. And I had, I had young kids uh, um, that wanted to play football and I didn't know if I wanted them to play football. I didn't play youth football. I started playing football in the 10th grade in high school. Um, and so because I had kids that wanted to play, I decided I'll let them play, but I'm going to be out there. I want to see what these coaches are doing and how they're teaching kids how to play the sport and how they're teaching them to tackle. And we had some crazy coaches that were doing stuff that I could not believe. Uh, and I just said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do it that way. Uh, and I worked at the NFL at the time. And so I went into the NFL office, the youth football um, department and talked to the head of the department. Uh, one of the guys in that department was a former teammate of mine on the Patriots. And so we talked about and how they taught to tackle. And they were saying um, they teach the kids to bite the ball. I said, bite the ball? What does that mean? I said, you mean put your head down and have your face up on the ball? I said, yeah. And I'm going, you got to be kidding me. And so with that, that got me interested in finding out what the heck they were doing and why they were doing it. Uh, and I've, I've never really gotten off that track. My, uh, as a player myself, I had, um, I got lucky whenever I had a concussion, uh, I would lose cognition. Like, you know, I had one in college as a freshman in the Fiesta Bowl against the University of Missouri as a free safety. I stepped up in the hole, like trying to be a big dude and uh, like a linebacker and just take on this running back. And as soon as my eyes made contact with the running back, somebody hit me in the side of the head that I never even saw him coming. Uh, and, you know, I kind of lost cognition. It was like someone took a pitchfork uh, and they were holding it next to my ear and just this high ringing noise because he hit me in the ear. Well, um, I, I had to go out because I, I couldn't think of anything. I didn't know I was even, um, you know, affected by the hit. But when someone said, who are we playing? I couldn't tell him. And then my roommate, when I looked at him, I knew it was my roommate. He said, what's my name? I couldn't even tell him his name. I couldn't think of it. And so I'm thinking, oh, my God, I can't imagine that I'm going to be like this the rest of my life. So I grabbed the towel, went and sat down, put it over my head and just start crying like, a, you know, like a baby, really just like, oh, my God, I can't believe my mom. Well, this is why my mom didn't want me to play, you know, and I'm just like really upset. But then we went in at halftime. And my cognition came back. And, uh, and I said, hey, hey, coach, I said, I'm back. I, and he said, OK, good, Haynes. Um, and so I would really would have gone back in the second half and I would have started the game. But we had a, a safety guy named Wayne Bradley, who was also from Southern California. He said, hey, Mike, let me finish the game. He said, you're a freshman. You're going to be here three more years. This is my last game. Let me finish it. And I said, well, it's up to the coach, Wayne. And, uh, and so he said, well, go find out. So I went over to the coach and said, hey, coach, is it okay if Wayne finishes the game instead of me? He goes, yeah, sure, Haynes. Well, now 10 year, more than 10 years later, I realize 
what a blessing that that was for me because the real danger of football is not getting a concussion the real danger is getting another concussion while you're concussed and that's what the that's the problem so when a guy gets a concussion he has to get himself off of the field and and it shouldn't get back on the field until he's healed until his brain is healed and that's been the challenge is you know guys are saying i, I gotta play i need to get it i need to play because i have an incentive in my contract or whatever they take these unnecessary risks um so i'm i'm still actively involved in that i still work with the group in boston uh, to try and come up with different things to do um, also i live down here in san diego and there's um, different companies who are doing research and, and things on, on, on how to heal the brain and things. So um, I'm passionate about it. I love football. I, I don't want the sport to go away. Um, but, but for parents who uh, have kids that play football, just want to encourage them to put their kids in programs that really take this seriously. This, is a, this could end up being a, a serious problem for their kid, and it doesn't have to be. Um, and, you know, my kids... I have two kids that played youth football. I have two older kids. They didn't play. I didn't want them to play. But now that I'm involved, I'm, I, I, I'm out there. So I know what's going on. And as you know, they tackle differently now. Before, they used to use their head a lot more in the tackling. They don't do it the same way. It's not as aggressive uh, of a sport as it used to be. And if you watch football on TV, you know, um, you know that the head hunting is out and you can be um, eliminated from the game and no player wants to do that. So it's some of the rules could even be stronger, I think, but I, I worry most about the youth football more than, than pro or college football. Those guys, they do a pretty good job of getting those guys out of the game or off the field, but youth football, the parents are the ones that have to be educated and the, the youth football coaches have to be uh, aware of what's going on. Otherwise um, kids could be in a lot of danger. I have a laundry list of questions and I would love to keep you on here for three hours, but I, I just, I hope you will agree to come back on the show so we can get some of these other questions answered. But today, my final question for you, when you look back on your football career, you know, you were able to do it all. You played on a college football team that finished number two in the nation. You received Heisman votes as you touched on earlier. Uh, you won a Super Bowl. You had an interception in a Super Bowl. You had a 14 year career. You know, you, you obviously have had a very successful life after football. But what I really want to know, and, and I think when you close your eyes at night and you think back on your career, I think every football player has one just vivid memory that just warms their heart and puts a smile on their face. I want to know for a pro football Hall of Fame inductee and a guy who's done it all, what is your fondest memory of playing football? Well, my fondest memory is really winning a Super Bowl, you know, winning a championship. Um, I had a horrible high school experience in football and we never won anything in football, you know? Um, but at Arizona State, I had the greatest, yeah. greatest experience. Three Fiesta Bowls, an undefeated team, um, should have been number one in the country, we ended up number two, all of that. And then going to the NFL, um, my goal was to continue what was happening in college with all those Fiesta Bowls and I'm thinking, hey, how about a bunch of Super Bowls? Um, and I realized over time that, you know, that it's really difficult to get to a Super Bowl. So, um, but for me, that was, that's a dream come true, playing in a championship, um, getting an interception in the championship game and playing with a bunch of guys that really were looking for the same thing, trying to achieve the same thing. And those guys are like brothers. And I may not see a guy for 15 years. And when I see him, I start with a hug, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. An unbelievable warm handshake. And we've like bonded forever because we know how special that experience is. And yeah, that's really it. That's really it. I, yeah, I would agree. You know, when I think back on our Super Bowl championship, there's just a mutual respect and love and appreciation for all those coaches and teammates, and, and I'm with you. It's, it's the same deal. As soon as I see one of those guys or coaches, it's just a big bear hug, and, and I have nothing but love and, and appreciation for my teammates. Yeah. And you know, the, you know what, Brock, what, one of the things that surprises me about football is when I first started, I hated the other team. Like when I was in the Patriots and we were playing the Raiders, I hated the Raiders. 
I got myself psyched up to hate them, hate them, hate them. You know, yeah, the yeah. Broncos, everybody, I hated them, yeah. you know? And so that's why you say hit them hard and all that stuff. And then, you know, in somewhere during your career, you, you get invited to play in a charity event and yep. some of these, <laughs> and, and these guys are there. <laughs> and they're good dudes. <laughs> and they're good dudes. And then, and then, and so that, that really changed me too. Yeah. That was a, had a huge impact on me. I realized, wow, that I tried to take that guy's head off. You know, like, Oh my God, you know, yeah. and, and, and a lot of these guys in the hall of fame, you know, I'll see them and I won't say what I really want to say because I'm thinking he really doesn't know like a, a quick story, Warren moon. Uh, we were in a cover two. And he, as quarterback, he dropped back and nobody was open. So he ends up running and he runs towards my side. And so he's running, running, running. He has the ball in, you know, really loosely. He's not running like a running back. He has the ball in one hand. And like, I'm, I'm thinking, oh gosh, Warren, please go out of bounds before you get to me. Don't <laughs> keep coming. And he, and he did, and he kept coming. And I hit him with a ton, like a ton of bricks, you know? And then later, he becomes a Hall of Fame member. I'm in the Hall of Fame with him. And then I see him and, and we're both from LA, <laughs> you know? And so we see each other a lot, but I never say anything. And then just about the time I'm thinking, like, like 10 years later, you know, I think it's all over. He, did, he doesn't remember any of this. He goes, hey, Mike, do you remember that time when you guys played us in Houston? I'm going, oh, no. <laughs> and I go, man, I'm sorry. Let me just say I'm sorry, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, so those those kinds of things, you know, I think back on them and I realize what my mindset was like at different times. And I'm, I'm glad that it, it changed and I could see the, you know, really what was going on. And um, I, I love football. I love football players. I love what they what they can do in a community and, and bringing people together. And, and even guys like you, you know, you're having this show. Uh, it's really, you know, something that's broadcast around the, the community and people can see what kind of guy you are and what kind of guy other football players are. And they can do a lot of positive things in their life. And we all can. And, uh, you know, kudos to you for what you're doing, because I really think this is something that, you know, especially young people uh, can benefit from. But really, even people our own age, I'm, I'm in my yeah. 60s, and I would benefit, I'm, I would benefit from watching this. So, so I'm sure other men my age and women as well would benefit from this show. So Mike, I just I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, you are the winner, you, you won the Gilda Ratner Courage Award from the Roswell Park Alliance Foundation, uh, to talk about your personal experience with prostate cancer and to encourage Len, uh, men to learn more about prostate health, uh, to, to share your message about how important it is for men really of any age, but particularly, you know, when you hit certain benchmarks, how important it is to be aware of your health. Well, that's one of the important messages is, is like you really do need to know your family's health history. And just like with football, when we were talking before, you want to start with the end in mind. You know, when you're, when you're young, you really need to be thinking out in the future, like what's, what's my life going to be like? And, and maybe I need to know the family history. I wonder how my grandfather and, and uncles and my dad and my mom's family and my dad's family all these things we don't think about, we just kind of like live our lives. Um, and I found out I had prostate cancer by total luck um, at the Hall of Fame. They were doing, they do this every, every year at the Hall of Fame. These guys, we go through these exams and everything. They, they check out our blood pressure and uh, everything, you know, our, see if we have diabetes or, or anything. And at the time, I had no idea about prostate cancer running in my family. Um, and so when I took a test there, they start off by asking you questions. Do you know if any cancer runs in your family and all that? And I, I didn't know. I was very naive. Um, but once I found out and I realized that I could have known by just asking my, my mom and my, my, or my grandfather or someone, uh, one of my uncles, I never even thought about it. And evidently they didn't think about it either. So I try and encourage people. That's why I became the spokesperson, because I realized most guys are like me. They just live in their lives and just having a good time and not thinking about things and getting older. But if we were smarter, we would do things differently to try and avoid some of the things that have been in our family for a long time. 
you, you know, you have you hear about a lot of people that have a lot of family problem history, but really some of those things are just diet related. You know, um, if I had, you know, like I have a lot of relatives that were overweight. Well, if if they knew that um, being overweight was going to cause this, this, and this kind of a problem, would they? have been overweight? I don't think so. If you if you knew that, I don't think you would say, okay, I'm going to welcome that into my life. I don't think people would be that way. Um, and so uh, when they asked me to be the spokesperson for uh, prostate cancer, I said yes, because I knew that most people just needed to be more aware. They needed to be you know, more mindful of what, you know, what's at stake and what's going on in their life. I had so many so many different things that um, I was naive about, uh, and that was one of them. My, my health is, is really a huge concern, but it also is now the reason I, I set the goal of wanting to live to be 125, because there's, if I'm going to make it, I got to eat right, I got to get good sleep, uh, I got to exercise, um, you know, um, I got to stay on top of all new information that, that becomes available. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of friends now that are doctors. <laughs> um, you know, my um, the surgeon who performed my surgery is one of my golf buddies. I keep him really close to me. <laughs> and um, that's, you know, I, I think that's the best advice for everybody is know your family history and then be proactive and learn what you can do to avoid those uh, that, that those diseases, because some of them are avoidable. Um, and prostate cancer, um, I think, is one that really can be avoided. Um, but, but if it isn't going to be avoided, you definitely want to catch it in the early stages when it's easily treatable. It doesn't have to take your life. You know, if you, if you have surgery early in the, in the, in the situation, um, you can live a normal life without a prostate, you know. And um, I, I a lot of guys will find out that they have it, but they find out in the later stages when there's nothing they can do about it or, or very little they can do about it. And they they only have, you know, maybe a short, short period of time to live. Well, I, I just think it's such an important thing to get out there. And I, I appreciate you sharing your story with us and helping to get that message out. So, well, listen, Mike, uh, I like to try to consider myself a lifelong learner. I, I learned so many things today from you. I, I truly mean it. I would love to have you back on the show if you're willing one day. It was truly an honor, and and thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I know I speak for Randy as well. Just it, it means the world that you would take the time to come on this show, and and you did. You you spread a message that people can gain so much knowledge from, and it uh, you uh, you made this a very special Friday. So thank you very much. Well, I appreciate it. I'd love to come on anytime. All right, it is time for Brock breaks it down, and it's a special Brock breaks it down this week because it is Rivalry Week, Territorial Cup. Brock, you, you experienced the Arizona game on the road at home. You got to see it firsthand. So my first question for you is, just from what you remember, is the, does the week have a different feel to it than any other week? Then you know, you played Utah. You played a non-conference game against whoever it may be. Even when you played a road game like at Illinois, does the Arizona game, does that game week have a different feeling to it? Absolutely. If I said anything different, I, I'd be, you know, just flat out lying. You know, I think coaches try to preach a message to the players um, so that they don't get overhyped throughout the week that it is a normal week. And, and you know, you're going to prepare the same way that you would prepare for any other game. And although that might be true, there's just a different feeling in the air when you're going to go play your rival. Um and, and, and I think a lot of that comes from just what makes college football so great. It's the tradition of the game. And you feel the difference in the game week from the whole city, from the campus, you know, just things that you see. You know, it's I, I remember the big A up on um, up, up on the mountain right there next to Sun Devil Stadium. You know, that gets painted a different color. Um, there's some other things that take place within the school and, and the student body. And there's just a different feeling. And you know that this game means so much to so many people, all the alumni, the city, the state. And so you do, although you, you continue to prepare the same way, I would just say that there's a, there's a heightened focus 
on, on that preparation and making sure that every stone is turned and that you are prepared and ready to rock when that football is kicked, whether it be down in Tucson or, or in Tempe. Now I know coaches are different. So what was coach Erickson like? Was he, did he focus on the rivalry or was he more of a, look, it's just another game on the schedule to you guys. I, Cause I know what he said publicly, but in the locker room, in those meetings, was it, Hey, this is rivalry. Cause every coach is different when it comes to that. So what was coach Erickson like? You know, coach Erickson, he was, he was a smooth operator, right? You know, coach, coach, he had had history, you know, he had played in big ball games before or, or coach, excuse me, in big ball games. He had won two national titles. You know, he was down in Miami in the heyday. And so, like I said, he, he was, he was a cool cucumber, you know, and, and he kind of preached that message to us. And, and like I said, it was from a coach's standpoint, it was business as usual. Now, deep down, I know Coach E, you know, wanted to go down to Tucson or whether the game was in, in Tempe and beat Coach Stoops and the Arizona Wildcats. Without question, I don't doubt that for a second. But he didn't get over emotional or energized or anything like that throughout the week. He kind of left that to us players to handle. And we did. I mean, you got to remember, a lot of kids on the roster, whether it be for that school down south or at ASU, they're from the state of Arizona. And so not only does, does the Territorial Cup, you know, create bragging rights for a year, for a lot of these guys, you know, they're going to play their careers, whether it be at U of A or, or at ASU, and then they're going to, you know, stay in the, in the state or stay in the Valley and, you know, go on to have families and, and raise their families here in Arizona. And so these games are bragging rights for a lifetime. You know, they're going to continue to bump into these guys that they played with or played against. And usually this is the first topic of conversation with guys is what happened in these games. You know, I know for me personally, you know, I think back to the two ter territorial cups I was able to start. And both those games were played against Nick Foles. Well, I think we all know Nick Foles has gone on to have a tremendous NFL career. He's a Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl champion. And I'll be honest, I want to have the bragging rights over Nick. I wish I was 2-0 and against him. Um, unfortunately, I'm 1-1. One and one. And, um, you know, it, it could have been 2-0 and if on the last play of the 2011 game, I would have thrown it a different direction. Um, I don't want to make any Sun Devil fans out there sick, but I did have a wide open guy on the last play of the 2011 game. Instead, I threw the ball to to Mike Willie and on the right side of the end zone. And unfortunately the ball was knocked down, but Hey, that's the game. And, and I think just me having that vivid memory, I still remember the play call. I still remember the feeling after it. I don't know if I would remember that game as well as I do today, if it wasn't against U of A. So, so rivalry week is big. It's important to a lot of people. And there's definitely a different feeling in the air for these seven days. Is there animosity on the field? Because, you know, from my observations, being around the program and being on the sidelines for games, there's, you know, there's going to be friendly competition and trash talking any game. But when you're playing Washington State, there's not that, like you said, the connection, the in-state connection. Is there more chatter on the field, if you will, during the rivalry game? And is it, is it a noticeable uptick during that game than in any other game? It sure is. Uh, in fact, I was going to label it as just a good old fashioned street fight. And that's really the feeling of the rivalry game. You're right. You know, a power five football game, regardless of the opponent, it's going to be intense. There's going to be some shit that's talked on the field. There's going to be some, some, you know, hard hitting. But when you, when you're playing your rival and you're playing against guys you grew up playing Pop Warner football against for a lot of these guys and high school ball and things like that, it's intense. And, and it's also the atmosphere. The atmosphere helps create why that game is played so, so physically and, and all of that takes place because when you go to a territorial cup, you know, it's one of my memories, it seems like the fans never sit down. You know, it's like the fans are standing the entire game and – even during like a TV timeout, like there's noise and, and there's this energy and you, you can't deny it. It's there and it's real. Well, that translates down into the players. 
And so the players are hyped up and, and you're playing every single play like it's your last. And boy, what I, I tell you what, th those are some of my best memories. But it's, it's really that atmosphere that the fans create in the stands because the game means so much to so many of those people that those fans are living and dying on every single play. And, and like I said, down on the field level as a player, you really feel that. And, and you want to go out there and you want to get that win. You want to have those bragging rights because, you know, let's be serious. The 2010 game against the Washington Huskies is not going to be talked about 50 years from now. But the 2010 Territorial Cup, ASU versus U of A, will be talked about 50 years from now. So that's the thing. These rivalry games, they're historic, and they never go away. They will always be talked about within those two schools. And you want to be victorious. You, you want to be on the right side of that history. And to your point, when you think about the Territorial Cup rivalry, you've got the run. You've got the catch. You've got the return. You've got the Miss PAT. There, there's these iconic moments. Those are those iconic plays that everybody's going to be talking about. To your point, 50 years later, they're still talking about John Jefferson's catch in the 70s. And that was mm -hmm. 40 something years ago. So I see what you I see what you oh, mean about that. Randy. Uh, OK, so I just broke down the final play of the 2011 game where I'm still sick to my stomach today for not throwing it to Rashad Ross on a dig route. Instead, I threw it to Mike Willie on the fade and we didn't complete it. But you got to remember the series before that. Why did it come down to us having to try to drive the field to go win the game? It's because Nick Foles was knocked out of the game backup quarterback comes in he throws the worst screen pass of all time the ball is on the ground basically I mean it is one centimeter above the ground the receiver somehow scoops it up breaks if I'm lying I'm dying I, I think he broke a good five six tackles and and took it to the house for a 30-yard touchdown if that play doesn't happen the game's wrapped up I think I threw I threw for sure one interception that game, maybe two. You know, I still remember the one vividly as could be. It was in the first half, and, and it was such a bonehead interception. So to your point and, and kind of what I'm making, it, most, most football games you play in, you might remember at most one to two plays or one experience from that game. Boy, I bet you I could probably rattle off a good 20, 30 plays um, from, from my Territorial Cup experiences against U of A. I've been going to ASU U of A games since my freshman year in college in 1998. And I worked how many other football games I've only seen post game fights in the U of A ASU game. And those covered decades. The 2001, there was a massive brawl on the field at Sun Devil after the game. And I'm sure you remember the, the fight we had after uh, that game in 2011, when a certain middle linebacker threw a punch at a certain U of A player. <laughs> I absolutely remember that fight. Uh, very unfortunate that that happened. But um, because of the person who started the fight, I think uh, none of us were surprised. Uh, we'll, we'll just, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> I will say this, you know, you, you talk about that on the field. From my position as sports information director, we were always told, hey, when you go to Tucson, and, you know, when, when you travel and, and you saw after, you know, when we go to USC or UCLA or any other place, you're wearing your team issued Nike polo at the time. That would be Adidas with the logos on there, you got your shoes, you got your bet, your jacket, whatever, your hat. When we would go to Tucson, we were told, do not wear ASU stuff. Take your ASU parking pass off your car because they will key your car. They'll do something to your car. Do not wear any ASU gear because as you have in Tucson, and get to, the, to get to the press box, to get to the field from the press box, you have to walk through the stands. And if you're wearing ASU stuff, they will throw things at you and they will yell at you and they will curse at you and they'll come after you. That's the only games I ever worked where they said, do not wear team-issued stuff. Wear generic whatever. So I would wear a sweater vest that had no logo on it. And I would have my, my bag had the ASU helmet on it, turn it around so they couldn't see it. And I remember getting stuff. Throw, we had ice cubes and batteries thrown at us on the sidelines one game. And uh, I was, you know, they, they said, everybody put your helmets on. I had to go around and tell everybody, put your helmets on. They're throwing things. We had a running back. Keegan Heron was doing an interview on the field. In the middle of the interview, he gets hit in the face with a cup of what I hope is soda as opposed to something else. I've never seen that at any other stadium, and I've been to a lot of stadiums. It, it's so true, and that's what it is. And, and they even say it for 
you know, the players' families that are going to drive down to, to Tucson and go to the game. Like, hey, don't go down the night before. Get in your car, go with a group of people, drive down to Tucson for the game, stay as a group, head into the stadium, enjoy the ball game, get back in the car as a group, and get back, get back to Phoenix. And, and that's true. That's what it is. It's, it's really the mentality of rivalry week is, hey, get on those buses, head down to where you need to, Get into that stadium and, and you know, an old adage, circle the wagons, right? Prote- protect yours, handle business, and get those wagons back on the interstate and headed back to Tempe. And that's really what it is because you're right. Shoot, we've all been hit with it. Ice cubes, batteries, just even the verbal abuse that you take from the stands. Uh, in fact, sometimes it's, it's almost it's comical because – the things they're saying to you are so harsh and so ridiculous. Like you have not, there's nothing you can do but laugh. I would say this, man, I miss the hell out of it. I, I would do anything to suit up this week and, and go down to Tucson, throw some pitchforks up, um, talk a little shit and just, and just get into a good old street fight and, and go beat those wildcats. Boy, that would be fun. That was Brock breaks it down the rivalry week edition. And uh, I think we can both agree on one thing. Go devils. Keep the cup. Go Devils, keep the cup. Hey, listen, I I know this season, it's been a wild year for a lot of teams, especially the Devils. You know, we're 0-2. We had to cancel three weeks of football. But once again, like you said earlier in the show, if we go down there and beat our rivals the way we should, you know what, this season will have a good feel to it. That was Brock Breaks It Down, the Rivalry Week edition. Our thanks to the great Mike Haynes, College Football Hall of Famer, Pro Football Hall of Famer, Sun Devil legend, one of the best cornerbacks to ever do it, for joining the show. That's going to do it. He's Brock Osweiler. I'm Randy Policar. Until next time, this is the Brock and Roll Show. Join the conversation on Twitter at Brock and Roll Show or email us at thebrockandrollshow at gmail.com. The Brock and Roll Show is a Politruck Media Production.